Let me ask you a question, get you thinking. You ever heard someone say this before? Well, I'm no saint. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Raise your hand. Yeah, most of us go, well, I'm no saint, so don't look at me like a saint. But what happens when you meet a saint or someone that's been lifted up to sainthood, like as the epitome of what it means to be a follower of Christ? What do you do then? And when you interact with a person like that, who am I talking about? I'm talking about uh, this lady who is known as Mother Teresa. And I've shared this story before. My wife, Julie, had the opportunity to meet Mother Teresa in 1984. And uh, she was four minutes late to meeting my wife and a group of, t of young adults. And the first thing she said was, I'm sorry I'm late. And you think, this is Mother Teresa. She looked at Julie, and she was drenched with, with uh, rain. And she said, you must take care of yourself. They had a wonderful interaction, and it made an impact on my wife's <clears throat> life. And so, in particular, this story about this very normal woman who God used in a powerful way. In fact, people lift up Mother Teresa, don't they? As a way of saying, well, I'm no Mother Teresa. Like the epitome of what it would be like to be a follower of Christ. Look at Mother Teresa's life. So the story went like this. There's a famous ethicist by the name of Matt Kavanaugh. <clears throat> Excuse me, John Kavanaugh. John Kavanaugh. Who uh, went to Calcutta to meet Mother Teresa. And he was uh, wanting her advice. And he spent three months in Calcutta with, for the destitute and the dying, where Julie met Mother Teresa and where he met her as well too. And when he met Mother Teresa, she asked the question, what do you want me to pray for you for? And this ethicist, John Kavanaugh, said, I would like for you to pray that I will have clarity. Mother Teresa said, no, I will not do that. When Kavanaugh asked her why, he said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh heard her response, that she seemed to have clarity, the very kind of clarity she was looking for, Mother Teresa made the following comment. This impacted me. She said this, I've never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray that you will trust God. Let me repeat that again. I've never had clarity. What I've had, always had, is trust. So I will pray that you will trust God. That impacted my life. That made a mark in my life about trials and hardships and difficulties and circumstances and persecution and suffering. That quote made an impact in my life. So we're taking a break this morning from the book of Psalms. I wanted to read Psalm 91 as kind of a base for this particular message. And this message is entitled this, not if, but when trials come. Not if, but when trials come. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to look at this passage of scripture from James chapter 1, and we're going to see this word perseverance, and we're going to try to understand what it means and what it doesn't mean and how it's played out in people's lives. And we want to hear these words in a fresh, fresh way. Uh, secondly, where we're going to go is we're going to read this passage of Scripture from the book of James chapter 1, and we're going to see what maturity marks are. There are some key words that are used, and one of the words that James uses is the word mature and the word crown, and why that's significant, significant 
when trials come. And thirdly, we'll just ask the question that in a room with this many people, in a sanctuary with this many people, you certainly got to be asking the question is, this is really hard for me to trust. And your answer would probably be different than the person sitting a couple pews in front of you. But before we get to the book of James, or we read the text together, um, and it's on page, well, it's on page uh, 1043. If you'd like to turn there, you can find that. We'll read the passage together out loud as well. But let's just set some context or at least some background information on the book of James so we know who's reading or who's writing this as inspired by the Holy Spirit. The author is James. Duh. But it's unique who he is. He is the younger brother of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus had brothers and sisters. The younger brother. Another of Jesus' younger brother was a man by the name of Jude, the guy who wrote the book of Jude. And you would think that Jesus being the oldest in the family and living with him for 30, almost 30 plus years, you would think that the brothers and the sisters would know that he's something special, maybe even God. But the Bible tells us in John chapter 7, verse 5, that not even his own brothers believed in him. In fact, they thought he was a crazy man. That's who the writer is, James. This is his journey. So what would it take for you to believe that your brother was God? I asked that question my very first Easter here at Bethesda, and there was a family that was sitting in about that third row where my friend Tim is. Tim, can you wave at us right there? And there was a family, there were three brothers all sitting there, and when I used that, I saw one of the brothers lean over and kind of whisper, I know you're not God. <laughs> and I almost lost it, and I thought, Kirk, stay on point, stay on point. And I thought, exactly. Well, the brothers didn't believe that their brother was God. And it took something special, didn't it? And what was that special? It was 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, where the Apostle Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit, walks through Easter and Easter resurrection and describes who Jesus met with. He met with Mary. It doesn't tell us that, but we know that from the gospel accounts. He first met with Mary, right? Easter Sunday morning. And then the Bible goes on to say that he met with Cephas, Peter. Then he met with the 12 disciples and then 500. And the next verse says, he met with James, one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know. Maybe he said, how's mom doing? But he showed him his hands and, side, hands and feet. And that changed everything about James. He went from a doubter of his brother to what the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 2 through Paul's words that James became one of the pillars along with Peter, John, and James. In fact, James became the one that they looked to for the stamp of approval with this huge controversy that was going on in the early church. When Gentiles, people like us, were coming to faith, and the question was, should they become fully Jewish through circumcision, or is the gospel enough? And they turned to James, how's he going to vote? How's he going to vote? And Jesus was enough. That was James. You got to understand that he was on a journey, and so he knows about trials. So reading in Jesus' name, we're going to read the text together. We don't often do this, but it's a holiday weekend, 
and I thought, we're going to do it. So let's read in Jesus' name, shall we? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having This is God's word, friend. It is true. He does not lie. It may be difficult to hear, but this book, this scriptures that we read is no ordinary book. It pulsates with the breath of God. Hear him speak as you approach him with humility and in need. Let us pray. Gracious King and mighty Lord, creator of all things, maker of the heaven and the earth, who am I? Who are we to approach you in your holiness and beauty and glory and majesty and splendor? Our hands and our hearts are dirty with sin. We have neglected to pray. We have used tongues instead of praising and worshiping you. We've gossiped. We've cursed. We've lied. Our eyes have coveted. They have lusted. They've gazed at temporary pleasures, thinking that they would satisfy. But they leave our aching hearts with a hole that only you can fill. Where can we go with our guilt and shame? We thank you that you sent Jesus, this child that was born and a son that was given. Jesus, you lived a perfect life, a perfect life that we could never live. And your death was proof of your love for us. And your blood was the transfusion, the only transfusion that would wash us clean. Clean and pay the penalty for the separation from your father. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would pour out your mercy upon us and that you would individually move in our lives so that we would be doers of the word, as your brother said, not merely listeners. We pray this for your glory and for your fame and because your kingdom is coming soon. Amen and amen. Once again, I want to draw your attention to the bulletin insert. If you're watching online or if you're listening on the radio, if you're interested, you can download that bulletin. And again, this message is entitled, Not If... When trials come, not will they come, but when they, they will come. <clears throat> and it's no surprise that we're going to take a look at this word perseverance that's used three times. Once again, a, a clue, a gem. And you'll note that in verse 2, perseverance and trials are marked by joy. That seems like a interesting word that James would use. The King James translation says the word patience, and that's too passive. The idea behind what James is trying to write isn't just to gut it out or to grin and bear it, but the Holy Spirit empowers believers with the ability to turn trials into God's glory and for him to receive glory. William Barclay the great English Christian commentator said this, listen, the thing that continues to amaze the not yet follower of Jesus is this. Over centuries of persecution and trials, 
is that Christian martyrs do not die grimly. They often die singing. For many see the glory of God in those final days. Listen to that. Perseverance is to remain under discipline, to subject oneself to something or someone which demands submissions, which naturally we would rebel against. Circumstances, situation, hindrances, and hardships, and the ability to turn them into God's glory. Let me illustrate this way. All of us are impacted by stories of survival and resilience and redemption. And in 1958, there was a man by the name of Louis Zamperini who gave testimony at a Billy Graham crusade. Zamperini, if you don't know his story, was an Olympic long-distance runner. In 1936, he ran in the Berlin Games and actually met Adolf Hitler. Later, he became a former World War II fighter pilot and a survivor, a survivor of horrific everyday tortures, tortures at the hand of the enemy of the Allies. He was beat. He was made fun of. He was mocked. And then he was released. And at the Billy Graham crusade in New York City, he gave testimony to what Christ did in his life. His wife first became a believer, and then he became a believer. You see, he was battling with the addiction to alcohol. And then he was battling with the incredible post-traumatic stress disorder. And then what about the person who beat him? What about that armed guard, that ruler in that concentration camp? God moved in his heart to forgive that man. Zamperini said this, it is only through the power of Christ that he saved me. Not just saved me through the torture, but saved me enough to forgive someone. To forgive someone, hatred. That is perseverance that's played out. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I've got so much stuff in my life. If you knew how broken I was, could Christ forgive me? Maybe you're thinking this, I'm so bad Jesus had to die. Yes, he did. But you are so loved, Jesus was glad to die. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He endured the cross for you and me. He knew our sin, and he persevered and did not turn away. He was tempted. His good friend said, you can't go to Jerusalem. Jesus said, get thee behind me. Jesus had the opportunity to call down angels from heaven to stop the arrest in the garden. He did not. He willingly went to the cross for us. So just pause for a second and reflect on this question. Perseverance in my life would look like what? It's not if, but when trials will come. So, listen to the scriptures again. Hear it in a fresh way. Let me give you an example to hear that in a fresh way. When, when you travel on an airplane, have you ever noticed those people that just seem to have it all together? At least they look like they do. They wear that cool uh, pillow that goes around the neck. And then they put on these very expensive headphones. 
and they'll just do kind of a subtle look at you like, you're jealous, and you should be. Well, I have some of those subtle headphones. They're not the big shot kind. The case looks cool, but they're not, they're not that expensive. And if we were sitting next to each other, I'd, sit, put, I'd, I'd tell you, why don't you put these headphones on? And why don't you listen to the Word of God, the book of James, in a different way? That's what paraphrases do. They're not word for word, but they're paraphrased, and they're a different way of hearing the scriptures that we're really familiar with. So here, I don't have enough for everybody, but I do have these scriptures that come from the message translation. It says this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get anything out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Anyone like, fill in the blank, who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate for such persons loyally in love with God. The reward is life and more life. Isn't that good? Yeah. Trials come. And so the second point that we pick up is this word that about mature. Or maturity marks would look like. Maturity is the goal. Maturity and being complete. It's the pers- purpose of life. Take, it, take, example, take for example what we see in real life with children. First there's the newborn stage. Then there's the infant stage, the toddler stage, the middle school stage, full adolescence, young adults, middle age, and then what's the last thing? AARP card. Yes. Check all the boxes. I'm right there with you. The idea behind the word teleos or mature means to be complete, finished. And the word picture that's often used is like an old school pirate telescope. And the further you move that telescope out, the better it works. Maturity marks don't just happen alone, though. They don't just happen in silos. I heard years ago at the Global Leadership Summit, this, that the hope of the world is the church when it's operating properly. The hope of the world is the church when it's operating and functioning properly. Are there bad examples Oh, my stars, yes. Are there leaders that have given the church a bad reputation? Yes, sadly, yes. And duped others and taken advantage? Yes. But we are his bride. I've used the wedding dress analogy of my mom two times. I think it could fit every Sunday. If you haven't seen it before, it's my mom's wedding dress that's smeared and dirty and sooty. It's what she wore on her wedding day. And I keep that, and I look at it often. And I'm reminded that that's how the Lord sees his beloved, as pure and spotless, that are endured to him. Our sin draws Jesus close to us, and he came for that reason. Mature in this sense that James uses is the idea of being complete or perfect and fully developed character. 
A.W. Tozer, a great devotional writer from the Christian Missionary Alliance tradition, says this, it is doubtful God can use anyone greatly until he has hurt that person deeply. Listen to that. It is doubtful God can use anyone greatly until he has hurt that person deeply. That is the mystery of the discipline of God our Father. So what do maturity marks look like? Well, one of them that you can take a look at is the listing that the Apostle Paul uses in the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit come from what God does in our hearts, what the Spirit does, not we work up. One lady said to me years ago, she said, I don't pray for patience, the fruit of patience. I don't want that one. And I was a young pastor, and I, I kind of stopped, and I thought, can you do that? Is that, like, legal? You can look at verse it and go, that's a dumb verse. I don't want that verse. I don't think you can do that. But we can look at the fruits of the Spirit and say, Lord, you have to do this. Because naturally, I'm not a patient person. Naturally, I'm not a kind person or one who is marked by self-control or whatever. Maturity marks. The other mark, the other, excuse me, the other word that's used here is crown. Crown during those days were given to a victor in athletic games. Crowns were used for kings and queens. Crowns said, this is what one receives when they win the award. So let me introduce you to someone that came across my desk in March. An article came across, and I thought, wow, that interests me on a couple different levels. This is what the article looked like. It was a young lady, and it was entitled, Choosing God Over College Basketball. Now, I love the Lord, and I love sports. I've said before, if I hadn't met Julie, my head would be a brown leather ball that would say Wilson on it. And uh, I began reading this article about this young lady who went to the University of North Carolina. Her name is Leah Church. And if you didn't know this, uh, only less than 1% of all high school athletes ever get a D1 scholarship, basketball scholarship, less than 1%. So all the students, high school students who play sports here in the Chippewa Valley, less than 1% will get a D, D1 scholarship. And for someone like her to walk away from a college scholarship, incredible. So I started doing some research on Leah Church, who played for the University of North Carolina women's basketball, and uh, found out that she's in the Hall of Fame. She is in the Naismith Hall of Fame. She owns the record for most three-point shots in a minute. If you go on some of her social media sites, uh, it's just amazing what she can do. And what ended up happening was that Leah walked away from a college scholarship her senior year at the University of North Carolina. Now, many of you know about March Madness and what takes place. We have a March Madness contest each year with our staff, and we laugh and tease, and my friend Arlene Dittner, she's won the championship, and Pastor Brian has won, and Eric has won. I haven't won. I'm not bitter about it. I'm still working through it, but anyways. But University of North Carolina is one of those colleges that always makes the tournament. And so I thought to myself, why would you do this? And so just on a whim, I reached out to Leah, tracked down her information, and I said, would you ever be open to a Zoom call that I could record? 
and then share your story with 150 high school students that I'll speak to in July. And she wrote me back. And she said, I'd be delighted. So we set up a Zoom call at the end of May. And I want to show you just two and a half minutes of our clip with Leah and I. In the article, the Gospel Coalition, I've listed it there in your worship bulletin. You can read more about Leah. She refers to James chapter 1, verse 2. The one, excuse me, James chapter 1, verse 12. The verse about persevering and receiving the crown for life. And I asked her this question about that and tell me her story. So I think we're ready. Here we go. Make sure the sound is ready to go. I prayed, prayed about it. I talked with my family. And at first I was like, well, I have, you know, options. I can either keep playing and compromise my beliefs and stand for things that I know go against the word of God and go against my convictions, or I can give up something that I love. I can give up my dream school. I can give up basketball and walk away from it. And, but yet stay true to my beliefs and my convictions and ultimately honor the Lord through all of this. Yeah. And so as I thought about it, I was like, Leah, there really isn't an option. The only option is Jesus or basketball. And I'm going to choose Jesus because that's what's going to matter in eternities, you know, for eternity. And, you know, through the, that, I was like, Lord, you know, why, are you, why is this happening? So Coach Hatchell, she was there for 33 years. She was a Hall of Fame basketball coach. And yep. I, I questioned the Lord. I was like, why, Lord, during her 33 years, the four years I'm there, she leaves. She ha she's forced to resign. And I really questioned that, and I was like, God, why, why do you want me at Carolina if I can't finish out my, you know, my senior year? But through all of this, I have an opportunity to share my testimony. I have an opportunity to get my story in the Gospel Coalition. I have an opportunity where Franklin Graham shares that story, and over one million people see it and read it. And if I had have had to walk through that and make that choice and ultimately choose Jesus, all these people wouldn't have heard my story. I'd have just have been an, another dot on the page, another person that played college basketball. But because, you know, this was part of God's plan for me, ultimately he's getting the glory for it. And a lot of times when we're walking through these things, we can't see the, the end result. We can't see the outcome. We just see how bad it is. Right. And a lot of times we question God. But, you know, looking back, I see his faithfulness in it all. And I see that ultimately this is how he was going to get the most glory. And yeah. so you just have to trust him in it when the, when the hard times come, that he has a perfect plan for all of us. Yeah. You touched on a couple things. One, you touched on the sovereignty of God. He sees the big, grand, bigger picture. Yeah. And I've always thought of the, of the story of Joseph in prison. He's in prison for doing the right thing. The yeah. right thing. He did yeah. the right thing. Here's the question. What do maturity marks look like in your life when trials come? That was her story. What's yours? Here's the final thing real quick. When we get to this, the end of this message, we ask this question. The hardest thing about trusting in trials is, man, those answers would be various, wouldn't they? Questions like what Leah said. I don't know the future. And the future is kind of scary. Can I trust God in the future? Questions like this. I'm broken. Will God give up on me? Will this trial break me? Maybe the hardest thing about trusting is asking the question, God, where are you? Maybe in the trial it says, did this come from my sin? Maybe the hardest thing about trusting in trials is, why would God allow this to happen?
So this summer, I want to give you an example, an invitation, and an illustration to spend some time with someone this summer. To, if I asked you, what are you looking forward to this summer? More than likely, many of you would say, I can't wait to be with, boom, family, extended family, what? So I want to give you this invitation to spend some time with someone this summer. And the person I'm thinking about is Joseph. Joseph, who is unpacked for us, and we see his life played out in Genesis 39 through 50. Spend some time with Joseph, and as you read the book of Genesis, Genesis 39 through 40, put on a pair of glasses to see how does Joseph compare to Jesus. Because he's a forerunner and a prototype of Jesus. What do you mean by that? Well, how was Joseph's relationship with his father? How was Jesus' relationship with his father? Pretty good. How did um, Joseph's brothers and people treat him? How was Jesus treated? With hatred, despise, humiliation? Were either of them sold for money? Yeah. Did each of them give their life for service? Yeah. But here's the one that makes me think, wow, there's something there. After Joseph was in prison, after Joseph did the right thing by fleeing away from temptation, he was put in prison and forgotten for two years. Forerunner for what our Lord experienced on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do that study. Do that study and ask the Holy Spirit to help you See what it means to trust in the midst of trials. Let me just end this uh, message this morning by sharing something that happened to me just yesterday afternoon. Uh, around the supper time, my phone blew up with texts by friends saying to me, have you heard, have you heard, have you heard? A friend of mine, a uh, youth pastor by the name of Pastor Cal Thompson went home to be with the Lord uh, yesterday, yesterday morning. Pastor Cal was uh, from an Assemblies of God background, and of course I'm from a Lutheran background, and we got along splendidly, and we loved to tease each other and encourage one another. I said to Pastor Cal one time, I said, you know, if all Assemblies of God pastors were like you, this world wouldn't be so broken. And he looked at me, and without batting an eye, he said, if all Lutheran pastors like you were like you, this world wouldn't be in such a mess. He went home to be with the Lord yesterday. He leaves behind his wife, Kelly, two daughters, and eight grandchildren. He impacted a community as well as the south side of Chicago 31 years. And as Julie and I were praying for his family and his wife, Julie said, you know, when there's a believer that goes home, it's a win for them. It's a win for them. And early this morning, as I got my morning coffee to get ready for the day, I just sensed, not in an audible voice, but just a sense and impression on my heart, he's fine, Kirk. In fact, he's having the time of his life. What's his crown? Well done. Well done, son. Welcome home. 
Were things perfect in his life? Are you kidding me? He had health challenges like you couldn't believe. But my friend's home. My friend's home. It's an example to me of a life well lived and one who walked through trials trusting in the Father. Amen and amen.